0: hello and welcome back to the previously on podcast on this week's episode we'll be presenting the second half of our discussions about the final four episodes of the series together these four episodes comprise sozin's comet and the second part of the discussion officially brings episode 29 as well as our third season to a close there's so much to still unpack with these remaining episodes so please enjoy the second half of episode 29, picking up right where the first half left off.
1: Previously on Avatar.
0: I don't know what it is about this third episode in this set of 4. I think episodes 3 and 4 are are probably my favorite of the 4. Mm-hmm. Um mostly because of the the combat and the bending and all that awesome yeah. and the music like everything oh, is just music is so good you almost have to just wait with bated breath to be like what's going to happen what's going to happen what's going to happen but it's here like soson's comet has arrived we are now we are now here and the first thing we see is a whole lot of fire yeah mm-hmm. oh
2: my god yeah the whole episode turns red from here on out yep yes it's I brilliant l- i love that yeah, what a design choice. Oh,
3: my gosh. So good.
2: This is literally 60 episodes to finally pay off. Mm-hmm. They didn't wrap this up season one and introduce a new villain. They let you wait for 60 episodes. Yes. And it is so worth it. Ah,
0: and now, and now, like, okay, I'm thinking back the the fire lord and Aang never meet face to face at any other point in the in the series is that correct well he makes a a noodle portrait of him but <laughs> <laughs> and they meet in ang's dreams but this is mm-hmm. the first time that they meet face to face right mhm right oh man and like that too just because with as much as Aang talks about him and obviously like has his nervous breakdown fantasies about him. And I think even Firelord Ozai says it.
1: After generations of Fire Lords failed to find you, now the universe delivers you to me as an act of providence.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, and Max, like you said about him just monologuing to kind of end the second episode, the first half of this finale. That moment too, it's like, okay, dude, j- yeah, calm down. He's a- got a narcissistic personality a- disorder. Angs Angs here to kick your ass, not to be delivered to you so you can defeat him. Like, calm down. He, he definitely, yep. he
3: definitely misinterpreted the universe's delivery of the avatar. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> He's gonna
0: deliver his foot up your ass. At- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there must be another way. Uh. Let me just shove my foot up your butt. <laughs> And Aang, in his
3: last desperate attempt, like, you have the power to stop this. Yeah. And it's like, oh, poor choice of words there, uh, buddy. Like, yes, Yeah. I have all the power in the world. <laughs> ah. And then in like a very um, big Momo measuring contest, <laughs> <laughs> he like does his lion turtle roar or whatever. Or his armadillo. What does Zuko call that? Tigerdillo. Roar like a. Tiger Dillo, oh, yeah. Yeah, there you go. And so he roars like a Tiger Dillo, which uh, is much bigger than Aang's roar from the, the previous <laughs> episode. Yeah. But we get to see how that ends up, because Aang ends up doing a even bigger roar in the next episode. Ooh,
0: roar. Ooh, yeah, roar. <laughs> uh,
3: so this episode opens up with... The, with the airships taking off and Toph blindly launching them into the air, which could have ended so poorly, so poorly. The fact that they land right on the little deck,
0: it's crazy. Yeah. Well, and the thing that kind of freaked me out the most, other than yes, Max, I totally agree, that Toph blindly throwing all three of them, right? Because it's Suki, Toph, and Sokka. Is that Sokka and Suki land first, and then have to catch Toph. Like, what? Imagine Toph flinging herself just, like, an extra foot too far. Saka so- 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 and Suki landing on the deck. And Toph just overshooting and just completely oh missing God. everything. Like, what in the world? <laughs> yeah, that that took some perfect timing and perfect judgment um, from Toph. Which, not that I expect anything less, but it is right. just one of those insane details. Mm-hmm. You have to kind of forget physics yes. for yep. the whole airship bit. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yep. What's that called? The suspend suspension of disbelief. Yeah. Yeah. Because she flings them before Sokka can even finish telling her where the nearest airship is. She's like, where is the nearest one? And he's like, well, it's right. Boom. <laughs> like then they get sent <laughs> off. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also that like, ah, it's weird because in one scene, Sokka, like physics matter and Sokka can break a bone. But in this scene, when they get flung hundreds of feet through the air and then land on something and then catch somebody else, no issue.
0: Yeah. Or the scene later when like they're falling, and I think it's after Sokka has broken a bone or hurt his leg, and they land and and Toph grabs or Sokka grabs Toph as they're Mm -hmm. still falling. And Sokka lands flat on like the deck part of the ship that they've just fallen off. He would he would have died. Straight up, yeah, snapped like Broko, his back. Yeah. yeah, and then
2: Suki, like Saka, is barely holding on to Toff, like by the fingertips. And Suki crashes an airship into theirs. That doesn't affect his grip at all. Nope. <laughs> it's all those fingertip pull-ups that he's been doing. Right. Yeah. Well, he needed to practice climbing. Hang told him yep, exactly, he had a
3: dream. Exactly, <laughs> and I was under the impression that they're already on the bottom of the airship. So how does Suki crash into that airship without hitting them? You know what I mean? Yeah, I yeah. don't
2: know. <laughs> does she go to the <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I'm trying to replay. I'm trying to replay that moment. Really, none of it makes sense. No, but it is it's so, so cool good. that I
3: don't <laughs>
1: care. Exactly, it doesn't matter. Right.
2: You
3: just have to stop. Like, <laughs> It, it's the curse of making a podcast about it. Yeah. It's <laughs> like none of that matters. It's so no. epic. Right. Every character gets their perfect moment. And I know we'll talk about, I really, really want to talk about it. Is that scene in this episode? Or are we jumping the gun? That
0: Sokka Toph scene? I think it might be in the second episode. Okay. Yeah. Or or I, the f- excuse me. The fourth episode. I want to talk about that more in depth, but um, yeah, I think it is because by that point, um, sock, cause that's the moment, right? Saka loses his sword and the bo- the boomerang, yes. right? That's yeah. yeah, yeah. I think technically that happens in the fourth episode, okay. but yeah, it's all part of the sequence. Let's let's dive into that one more in
3: the in the sure. next yeah next yeah because yeah. there's a lot to talk about in this absolutely one too.
2: yeah. This one starts with Azula yelling uh, at the Cherry Pit Girl, yes. Which okay, is the Cherry Pit Girl also gray? Is it the same voice actor? I don't know. Because I think it was her essentially yelling at herself, which I thought was very funny.
0: I'm going to look it up. I searched cherry pit girl on the avatar wiki and didn't get any meaningful Mm -hmm. um, search results. So maybe I should search for something more specific. Some of these
3: extras are hard to find the the voice actors for. Yep. Evan, you are exactly correct. Oh my
0: gosh. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) And her, her wiki page is Banished Servant. Oh, <laughs> oh no. Brudal. The Banished Servant was one of many Fire Nation royal servants that served the royal family. She was previously part of the all-female staff entrusting or entrusted with assisting Princess Azula, but was banished at the princess's behest after making a small mistake with her food. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, it's funny because they have like a whole history section and like, you know. And appearances. Oh my One God. episode. Into the inferno. <laughs> this is part three. That's very funny. But yes, voiced by Gray.
3: Amazing. I want to dive into Azula's um descent into madness.
0: Oof It's it's <clears throat> and I know we talked about this a little bit earlier in this in this very podcast episode. In in trying to pinpoint the real moment where Azula becomes like broken and unhinged and then everything from that moment just being this continuous d- downward spiral this is this is like rock bottom obviously mm-hmm. and it's meant to be like this is the episode where we go from despising Azula for everything that she's done to now just feeling sorry for her mm-hmm. like it it is so sad it's shockingly sad how she just cont- again just continues that downward descent
3: yeah i I I mean, you have to give credit to the show for doing that, um, for making this once perfect character uh, and then just kind of breaking them down. Um, Would you have liked to see a redemption arc for Azula in the show? Or do you think that was a fitting conclusion for
0: her? Personally, I think it's a fitting conclusion just because like anything that comes now afterward like in the comics and some of that stuff could serve as, you know, uh, a slight return to normalcy. Mm -hmm. I also just think that similarly to Ozai, there's only one way to kind of as a, as a viewer to have a satisfying closure on Azula and that's to take her out of the game. And obviously they're not going to kill her. So they just got to make her go completely insane and then have her become a prisoner for the rest of her life. Like that's, that was fine by me that they made that choice. Mm-hmm. that is sad though when you think about it do oh, they take I, her bending away I don't think ever they, do you think I don't think Aang takes her bending away I I think she just goes into the the prison mm. but I don't remember I'd have to look at the comics because I think in the 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 promise comics which I th- I think is the first set right after um maybe um, she, they show her on the cover of the comics because that's the whole arc of Zuko's mom. They go and they find mm. their mom. Um, um, but they show her on the cover. They show Azula on the cover bending. So I don't think she gets her bending taken away. How do you keep a fire nation, like a firebender in prison?
3: Very carefully. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they did it with Iroh, right? No, but I feel like he, he was doing neutral Jing there. Yeah. How do you keep someone that doesn't want to be there in prison? <laughs> Good point. Suspension of disbelief. Yeah. <laughs> maybe they did a cooler thing with her. Ooh. Freeze her down. That's true. Yeah. We do get to see how you keep a firebender in prison in Cora. Yeah. Yeah. So I had a question for our, there's, I mean, there's so much more to talk about Azula, so maybe I'm jumping the gun. Yeah. Let's keep on Azula. Um, Do you remember watching this for the first time and seeing, uh, and seeing Ursa in the mirror? Do you remember what your thoughts were? Totally freaked me out. Yeah. Yeah. I thought because there's like horror violins playing through that whole thing, right? Mm Hmm. Mm Well, and like it's so funny how they managed to capture like the lowest point is cutting your own hair off. Like that is that is like the true sign. I, for like, for some reason,
0: just universal, like, oh, right. my
3: God, she's cutting her own hair. Like, <laughs> we,
0: well, and for Azula, though, it, it makes sense because when she's training with, uh, uh yes. is it Lo and Lee or is that the old yeah. ladies? Um, yep. they say something right away where it's like nearly one perfect. Hair. Only one hair out of place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the fact that that line, which is one of the first lines we hear pays off here in the end yes. when she, again, is completely unhinged and chopping off <laughs> her own hair right is is so yeah it's so perfect she talks about it like it's this long-standing enemy of hers right like
1: all right hair it's time to face your doom what a shame you always had such beautiful hair
3: yeah like it's (laughs) crossed her for the last time oh man i love that i think it's
2: In one way, it's also very, like, culturally important, as we see when Iroh and and Zuko cut their hair. Yep. And also, like, what is the thing that your mom would help you with on your coronation day if she was there? She'd help you with your hair. And she Uh, can't
3: have that. You had such lovely hair. What a shame. Yeah, that line breaks my heart, too. Awful. Such a good interaction. It's just... She has her own, instead of, like, Zuko's internal dragons, she literally has her mom personified as like a voice. That is just heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I thought she was there. Like the first time I saw it, I was, it took me like a second to be like, Oh, she's imagining this. I thought somehow her mom had snuck in or something.
0: Oh yeah. Also to correct an earlier point, I misspoke. It's not the promise. It's the search, which is the second Ah. trio of comic books. Got it. That come after the series. Yeah, I read like half... The- Azula's on the cover with her bending. So, Because I think they take her out of prison to go on the search for Ursa. Mm. Huh. So they can find out what happened to her. wonder how that goes.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I, I think just the last point that I had about Azula is you get the sense in this scene where she kind of throws the hairbrush at the mirror and starts crying a little bit that she's just used anger and all this to hide what is deep down just a whole lot of grief. And she's never allowed herself to process that. And we get it here with the hairbrush. And then at the very, very end where it's like, she's angry, but you can tell it's not anger because it quickly turns into sobs. Like what a good way to show that in a show. Like what a good way to show kids that like emotions are complicated. And like some people aren't allowed to express it as sadness. They're only allowed to express it as anger. And that can be confusing. And Oh,
2: absolutely okay I have a a funny comment sort of regarding the hair when Zuko and Katara show up and she's about to do her coronation Zuko's like
3: there's something off about her I can't explain it but she's slipping
2: maybe it's like the botched bangs Zuko the absolutely unhinged look on her face
3: you can't explain it (laughs) something off about her huh (laughs) Yeah, I I like the memes that have come out of that that scene. There's like a whole bunch of memes of like um, when Zuko says there's something off about her, can't put his finger on it, and then like it shows just like an (laughs) insane (laughs) person. (laughs) (laughs) I do like that they ended up splitting it up because um, I at first I was kind of when I was watching this through this lens of critically looking at it I was a little pissed because again it feels like oh you're sidelining Katara and we're not going to get that Katara moment but by doing that by separating it you do get two great confrontations that have been hinted at throughout the show right Katara has been the only one to consistently be able to stand up to Azula so it is nice to be able to see that one-on-one and Mm -hmm. and of course we also need that one-on-one with Zuko because that has been a long-standing thing throughout this so they, they did it, I think, in the best way possible. Um, now, that being said, I still, to this day, get annoyed with how they do it, with how they take out Zuko, um, by just plopping Katara in the background. Because it makes me so angry at Katara in the Agni Kai, where she just stumbles into the Agni Kai arena. And it's like, why are you there? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I think I think if they enforced some of more of like the honor and things of the Agni Kai, like I feel like maybe it's assumed by Zuko if he really initiates it as this fight with very specific rules that Azula will follow that. Yeah. And of course she doesn't because she's like losing it. Yeah.
3: Yeah. But yeah, it's a little weird. But other than that, that Agni Kai is incredible.
2: So good. When that music the the music is perfect and the, the sound design of it, the mm-hmm. the decision to quiet down the rest of the sound. So it's just the music and like some and the of like the grunting of their yep. effort. Yeah. yeah. Yep.
3: Yep. It's beautiful. And like the whoo,
2: from the fire to the, just so the the power of the fire. Of it. Yeah. yeah. They must have oh. put up like a blowtorch to a mic or something. Totally. Yeah, so yeah. cool.
3: Totally. Or just got. Uh, D. Bradley Baker. Yeah. <laughs> or sh- <laughs> All right, Dee, can we take another take?
1: <laughs> Fire.
3: Fire <Our> noise. <laughs> yeah. And I think that they do that not only for the Agni Kai, but for the final battle between um, Aang and Ozai. They quiet mm-hmm. everything down except for the all the sound effects um, and then a few grunting noises. So, like, it caught me off guard because I think the first human noise we hear in the ang ozai fight is when ang gets smashed up against the pillar and lets mm-hmm. out a, like a, a grunt or like a sigh or not a sigh but like a losing his breath basically yep um which kind of snaps you back into it like oh my gosh this is my little flesh buddy that can easily
0: get like just destroyed <laughs> yeah um the crazy thing is that we haven't even talked about what hap- what's happening at Bossing say either uh, like, oh my god yeah I- you know cuz we have the white lotus now taking back bossing ba say um one thing that i thought was just really cool and i'm really glad that it was able to happen was Iroh finally being able to experience sozen's comet like and and tap this unreal power yeah um and he even references it at the very beginning and then basically tosses what i'm assuming is like a nuke basically at the wall to explode it open Um, just a really really cool moment and i think of all the characters hearing iroh talk about experiencing the power just means a Mm -hmm. little bit more Mm -hmm. you know we see it happening with with ozai and with the other firebenders on the airships um but when iroh kind of says only once every hundred years does a firebender feel this power it's just really really cool and it and it grounds us in in what all these benders are now capable of. Yeah, it's nice to have someone we're rooting for get to relish
2: in
3: that power for Mm -hmm. a little bit. right?
1: Only once every hundred years can a firebender experience this kind of power.
3: Speaking of that power, though, that first fire blast from Ozai on the airship and how it, like, charges up for a second, like it's just so raw and then just explodes, that is such a cool... Design choice.
0: It's amazing. Right. And and the way that they, they put sound to it as well, it almost mm-hmm. screams. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. Right? And to me, it feels like, as I'm watching and listening, it feels like they're trying to get us to imagine something like tearing a hole in yeah. the energy fabric of, of something. Yes. Because yes. that's kind of what's happening, right? They're just utilizing this once every hundred year power. To wipe out, you know, uh, an entire chunk of the world, Max, I love that part too, because yeah, it, it, he like, it's almost like a Kamehameha moment yeah, right? <laughs> of the show where, and you guys, like you guys had talked about where they take all of the other sounds away. It almost becomes deafeningly quiet, mm-hmm. which is then why the scream and the, and the, the fire sound effects just soar through, um, just so crazy. The thing that I thought was a little anticlimactic, though, about that moment was, okay, so Ozai's out in front leading his ships, and he starts the scorched earth thing. And then all of a sudden, Aang just, like, flings some rocks at the engine. <laughs> and he flings a fairly powerful <laughs> fire blast at it as well and just takes down his ship. Like, yeah, what? Could Ozai have not, like, stopped <laughs> bending fire at the earth for two seconds to then incinerate these rocks or right.
2: maybe he's too wrapped up in his own ego to even notice.
3: Yeah, it's probably yeah, that. I think it is sort of well portrayed where he like doesn't realize into the last second. Like it's like his peripherals, like these air mm-hmm. things like yep. fly by him. Sure. Which says he's cause you can see it in his face. He's relishing burning the earth. Like he's yeah. looking down and really absorbed with just being a freaking psychopath. Um, and so I kind of love that. Like, it is anticlimactic. You're right. It is just sort of like a no, bad. <laughs>
1: right. <laughs> Don't do that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, I think there's a lot of like martial arts philosophy in it, too, right? That he's hitting a couple very distinct points, almost like Tai Lee.
3: Yep. But yeah, with points. an airship
2: instead of a human body. Absolutely.
3: Yes. Absolutely man and then it starts crashing and it's this sort of um again these violins that's like eh, yes
1: eh,
3: eh, 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 eh. oh man. yeah 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 okay and then he gets to the pillar or no no he, he does he strip on the airship or when he gets to the pillar I think it's on the airship before he flies off yep and he he like he, burns it away yeah, he burns yeah. his cloak away clo- <laughs> yeah. and um so dramatic so dramatic but I just had this idea of like there's a tailor somewhere in the Fire Nation that had to go <laughs> to so much work to develop all these flags, all these new like Phoenix bullshit <laughs> like uh, <laughs> stuff and like spent like so like just blood, sweat, sweat and tears into this royal cloak and crown and all this stuff for this new Phoenix King. And then I was, I was just like, poof, like <laughs> I burn it and I throw it away. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I just had this little image in my head of like the cabbage man but like a tailor being like oh my god (laughs) yeah Mm. my phoenix cloak
2: (laughs) (laughs) there's a great detail when ozai starts burning everything that i never would have thought of that i feel like implies a lot of other harrowing things which is you see all the birds start to fly away oh, out of yeah. the trees. Yeah. There's got to be a lot of other stuff that doesn't make it out of stuff. there.
3: Yeah, there's gonna really be really bad. A lot of upset hayvies Yes, in that area. Oof, absolutely. I also sort of thought so. The the really specific animation that goes into that first fire blast shows this sort of concave uh, fire mm-hmm. a, like that kind of forms to his hand mm-hmm. and. I think that, like, that's probably protective, right? Like, if you're shooting that much fire out of your hand, how does that not consume you as well? Um, Mm. That's a great point. That's cool. Because Toph can feel it from miles away, you know? Mm -hmm. And so if you're the person doing it, I have to imagine you're doing something as a little flesh human to not (laughs) get consumed by that much fire and heat. Otherwise, suspension of disbelief can take that place as well. (laughs) I, I think the other thing, I mean, there's so many good parts of this. Um, I had a quick question to you guys that I figured out once I was writing it down, because um, I thought mm. I was so clever. <laughs> like, um, And then I was like, oh, yeah. Uh, how does Sokka know how to use an airship? He invented them with the m- mechanists, right? Sort well, of. he invented like a little airship. But how does he yeah. know how to use this guy, like this big boy and all the little levers and all the little like push this and... Use the intercom and, and all that stuff.
2: Oh, well, they steal
3: one to fly back from the boiling rock, right? Yeah, yeah. So he does, he has practice. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's great. I was like, how how would you know how to do that? And then I was like, oh, wait, they had their own.
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> They had to learn how to use that really quickly. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's Max's way of getting us back on the topic of soccer and piloting the airship and using the intercom to talk about the very special birthday that they had (laughs) on the ship
3: so funny i think it's the only joke right it's the only break that we have in a really tense episode in these last two yeah pretty much and what a joke oh yeah
1: (laughs)
0: happy birthday (laughs) yeah after they've fallen in the water
1: (laughs) oh my god
3: I think the the way this episode ends is with Ozai I mean that whole fight between them is so amazing with the lightning strikes and Aang mm-hmm. deciding not to redirect it at Ozai yep and then getting knocked unconscious off of a cliff and like yep. waking up halfway through and then going full armadillo uh while <laughs> Ozai like like squeals in joy basically as he's like planning on killing this little kid um sets us up and that is where it leaves us. Like, oh my god, so
0: oh good. Yeah, it it is. Uh, I. There are. I mean, there. There's just so much to think about
1: mm-hmm.
0: with this with episode three specifically because this is when all of the the significant battle moments begin. Like, not only is it shocking how much joy Ozai gets out of trying to kill this little kid, it's also shocking, like. Ozai's airship wasn't the only ship like there were probably, I don't know how many there were, but like 16 or so behind him. What in the world was going on in those firebenders minds as they're blasting the earth too. Cause they're all complicit. They're all doing mm-hmm. the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just Ozai committing this incredibly evil act, you know, I, it's just, it, it, it makes me glad that, that, The airship slice worked as well as it did. Yes. But if you're, you know, a human, (laughs) if you're a human (laughs) watching what's happening in front of you, wouldn't that change something in you to then be like, oh, maybe I shouldn't do this or, oh man, whatever, because there's no way, there's no way Ozai would like turn around and then go blast those ships because he's too consumed in what he's doing. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just don't know why they didn't stop. They're just following orders.
3: Yeah. 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 I think you can. Yeah. You see this in, in our world as well, unfortunately.
2: But what, what is that one? The Milgram study or something that like people will follow directions, even if they know they're hurting someone a pretty like decent far
3: into it before they draw a line. Yep. They'll shock somebody else. Yeah. Yeah yeah um yeah you really like you said like 16 ships like how do they all go along with it really you only need to find 16 master firebenders that
0: are willing to go along with it <sighs> yeah yeah Um uh, doesn't make it feel any better though no no no, <laughs> no, 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 no. it does not <laughs> but then max like you said where this episode leaves us as we then go into the finale the fourth episode here like, Aang is huddled in his cocoon, right? His rock cocoon. And he's just getting the crap kicked out of him, you know? I mean, quick moment to sh- to shout out how brilliant Mark Hamill is as Ozai. But you just feel like, okay, it's over. This is how it's going to end. Because mm-hmm. Aang can't... The one thing that Aang needs in order to do this would be the Avatar state. And then, like that, he knocks in and unblocks his chakra, and then it's it's go time. Then things just flip here, and everything's about Aang kicking ass now instead of getting his ass kicked. And what a moment when he goes into the avatar state and just grabs Ozai's beard. Whoa, it's it's yes.
3: so cool. It's such
0: coming out, little boy. Such an <laughs> epic moment. And I yeah, I love it. And then and then Ozai tries to throw the fire at him, which I think we talked about this in a in a previous podcast episode as well, where this is like a callback to another fight when Aang does a similar block mm-hmm. and throws the fire into the air, which is mm-hmm. just now exponentially more powerful because of Sozin's comet. And then he just starts blasting the hell out of Ozai, and it is yes. so, so satisfying. The
3: the move that he uses to blast Ozai away. The airbending move. Uh-huh. Um is very similar to the move that he uses on Zuko in the house when he's when Hang's like, enough and blasts Zuko out. Mm. Oh. Um so it's like Zuko actually kinda helps him, right? Like yeah. You just stand your ground and just blast him back. Oh uh, prepare him. Yeah. Amazing. I love the choice of the music that they use for this because it is like bad guy music almost yeah yes (laughs) and I think that sums up how terrifying you know the avatar state is right and like what you've truly unleashed into the world Um, and I think because instead of having it from Aang's point of view of like this awesome power like this really like uplifting like he did it it's from Ozai's point of view it's like oh crap oh crap oh crap oh crap oh crap It's so good. Yeah. I think
2: that that makes everything work perfectly because if we're in Aang's perspective that whole time, we're almost there even earlier because then it's not, oh, the bad guy conveniently knocked him into the thing he needs to get his power. It's if you're from Ozai's perspective, the one awful thing that you're going to do that this person can't is going to be your downfall. Yeah. If you're willing to kill this kid and he won't do the same to
3: you... You deserve everything coming to you. Right. Yep. And then Aang releases his Tiger Dillo roar, and it not only comes out of his mouth and his hands, but also his feet.
0: Uh, Oh, such a sweet moment. Such a sweet moment. And, you know, this is the... We get the iconic shot here, which Mm -hmm. will also replace the podcast thumbnail for these split episodes, where it's Aang in the air capsule with the other elements surrounding him. I think it's so crazy how he like condenses or increases the density of the earth that he gets oh and then and then he straight up uses them as like machine gun gun. bullets yes and (laughs) it's like (laughs) oh my god oh my god oh my god oh my god yes again any one of those hits you lethal and you're dead because that's that's the point here now it's so so insane
2: well, I don't know. If we're going by rock physics in this show, it probably just creates a puff of dust. <laughs> <laughs> well, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I,
3: uh, that's also in the Kiyoshi uh, novels. It's like how deadly earthbending can be when you use it in that finesse, like if you use it mm-hmm. as bullets, um, right. which is I, I I, love that they did that because it's only been used as like big old boulders being thrown right now. and Right. So, precise little rocks can be yeah very lethal amazing what was your favorite uh uh fight interaction in that in the avatar state was it the tommy gun or was yeah
2: i i think i think it is what brandon said just watching those rocks crunch down
3: yeah that is yeah. unforgettable i really like the huge
0: air blast that disintegrates the pillar me too i like that so much too like oh i'm torn i'm i'm at the the air the airbending that again disintegrates the pillar or i really like when he first unleashes the fire the fire blast from all five yes um extremities and he like starts to whip them kind of it's like this five-legged whatever Mm-hmm. I don't want to say octopus because I know octo means eight, but it's like an octopus. A pentopus. Oh. <laughs> Those I think exist in the city. Oh this god, universe. a pentapus. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. One of those, and he's like slinging it all around. That was really cool too. Mm-hmm. I don't. I, yeah. I also like the the water going through um,
3: uh, Ozai's three fire blasts to like extinguish them. Yeah. Like in that.
0: Such a cool moment yes. too. Mm-hmm.
3: And of course, the fucking full
2: element yes! drill that's about Dude. to bore through Ozai's chest. Oh,
3: that—that that to me,
2: that's all Kiyoshi there. <laughs> <laughs> Kiyoshi, take the wheel. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Give it back. Yep. <laughs> so, Brandon, the five, the five flame blast from Ang, um, is kind of a callback to the first. Um, I think the the summer solstice one, where they come to the door and it's like, oh, this can be yep. opened by a fully realized, fully realized avatar. avatar. Mm-hmm. And it's the five holes with the flames. And now I'm just imagining like <laughs> Roku trying to get his feet and his fists and his
1: mouth to line up. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Is like he sitting. sitting on his butt? Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah. oh. Sir, so, what are you doing? <laughs> Just on his I'm trying to his get into in my private chambers.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, that would be the best part. Not even it'd be being one of the the air te- or the fire temple uh, sages, the fire sages, being like, um, "Sir, can I help you?" No. Nah. Bring my special chair, my recliner.
3: <laughs> uh, oh my god. Oh man. Okay, I ruined our our climax of the of the avatar <laughs> drill. But that was such a good line, like, the...
1: Fire Lord Ozai, you and your forefathers have devastated the balance of this world, and now you shall pay the ultimate price.
3: And then the, the self-control that he has, get out of it. Um... Because I think we've only really seen the Avatar state as, like, little blips, right? He goes into it. He comes out of it. He goes into it. And so he's been in it for, like, a good five or ten minutes. And the control that it must take for him to stop mid blow, Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And every other time, it's been,
2: like, Katara to
0: bring him down. Right. 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 It's all him now. Well, and I think we forget that at the end of season two, he technically gains the the power over the avatar state mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm.
0: in in his teachings with Guru Patik and then uh, kind of separating himself and, and, and unlocking that final chakra, which then remains blocked after Azula shoots him down yeah. with lightning, right? So I think we just forget that he has that skill to control it. He's just not had access to it. I don't think the skill goes away. It's just that access that he lost.
1: Mm-hmm,
0: hmm Okay. Yeah.
3: That, that makes sense. I, I thought like he was trying to, he would have to like fight all his past lives who are trying to dole out the punishment for him basically just because the voice is so like omni- uh, omnipresent or whatever the like yeah. right word for that would yeah. be. But mm-hmm. it sounds like it's, you know, a legion of avatars. Yep. Yeah. Um, and so he's like the lone person that had to be like, no, not this way. Okay, I'm really super curious about your impressions because I've gone back and forth with this finale. Like I love the seismic sense where he totally I think I think yes. that is the coolest. I don't know. I've said this so many times. I'm so <laughs> dramatic. But but that where he he just captures him by <clears throat> sensing where he is um after Ozai's gonna stab him in the back, basically. And yeah, and then initiates the Lion Turtle technique. Um, what I, so some people have a hard time with this as the finale because it's sort of deus ex, like it comes as like the perfect solution, kind of weird out of nowhere. What are your thoughts on it?
2: I, I have never had a problem with it. I get why people think it's kind of convenient, but the fact that it was essentially two episodes ago. We knew the lion turtle told him something. Mm-hmm. We're expecting him to have something in his pocket. Mm-hmm. And like, I think both on a spiritual level and just like, I think lessons we can take in our own lives, like it's that disempowerment that is necessary, not just to kill him, mm-hmm. but like you don't get to wield this oppressive power anymore. Yes. Yes. And I think and you have to live with it. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I think energy bending is a fine way to get to that point.
0: Yeah, I agree with everything Evan said. Um, I think, you know, my kind of pushback to those who may say that this comes out of nowhere a little bit. um, There are many moments throughout the show and throughout the series where as the lore continues to develop, you, you understand and, 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 know more about these different pools of energy, all of this stuff, even chi blocking, you know, to a degree, takes somebody's bending away. Mm-hmm. So it's not something that is super far fetched as a concept. I think to gain the ability to permanently remove somebody's bending is something that is really cool that they reserve exclusively for the avatar in this mm-hmm. moment. Um, and Yeah, like Evan said, it was two episodes ago that Aang gets this power from uh, the Lion Turtle, and it's fairly explicit when the Lion Turtle gives Aang this ability where he says, Max, like you dramatically read so brilliantly earlier in this episode, that in the era before the Avatar, we bent the energy within people and within humans. So it's, I don't know, to people who think it's super far-fetched, I don't necessarily agree um, I could understand the frustration with having this being introduced in the context of these last four episodes, like, and maybe not introducing it earlier. Um, I don't know why you would need to introduce it any earlier because there's no right use for it and until there's no, now. There's no conflict. Yeah. There's no, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, I, I have zero problems with this. And in fact, I'm really appreciative of like the entire animation decision to freeze time basically and then have the two spirits kind of attacking each other mm-hmm. and and testing ang's will um um to stand up for his his belief system is essentially what's happening here at the end yeah. um um and yeah evan you you summarized it so beautifully with what you said and i'm not even going to try to repeat what you said oh, um I- so yeah that was that's probably the best way that i could explain it if i was as eloquent as you Well, I think you bring up a
2: great point too, which is it looks cool. Why are you Mm -hmm. complaining? It looks awesome, right? Yes, there's great
3: storytelling in the visuals, right? Just enjoy it, right? (laughs) And it's such a beautiful scene. Like if you can just enjoy it, oh man, it's so gorgeous. Yeah,
0: I will say I'm I'm also appreciative that they chose two colors rather than like a lightness and darkness mm -hmm. motif there, mm -hmm. because you know if Ozai would have just like represented darkness and and his kind of spirit would have just been black and then Angs would have been white. It would have given it a different feel. But I'm glad that they used still used bright colors but easily contrasting colors so you could yes. tell kind of who who was what or which character was what. Um because again, it it doesn't necessarily mean that it's this lightness and goodness versus this darkness or evil. It's just this uh, other way to relinquish somebody of their power which has been so devastating to the balance of the world
1: mm-hmm.
3: yes
0: and and I, I don't know like you can sort of
3: we can come up with our own rationalizations of what those colors represent or yep. um and i i think in the in the animation book they mention it's just sort of like an inside out thing right you're yep. you're seeing their insides portrayed out mm-hmm. um and i guess for me like the big thing was Ozai's so focused on power. Like he says it so many times in these lines, like I have all the power in the world. And then again, like you had all the power in the world and you couldn't even use it. Like you're weak. And so to me, it's like this red represents like just power for power's sake. Sure. Right. And for Aang, I guess it would be like compassion, maybe, Mm -hmm. um, which is seen as weakness for Ozai. So, right. And, and like Aang is almost taken over by that, right. That power. And that's, of course, he's the avatar. That makes sense why that would be sort of corrupting because with that responsibility comes like a whole lot of power. Spider-Man. No. <laughs> um, so I, I really, ah, I, I love it. I, I definitely can sit back and enjoy that. I think the, the other thing that some people have a difficult time with is that that rock is in the perfect place to unblock the chakra. Um, that Without that rock there, the rest of the show doesn't really happen. Um, which yeah, again, it's fair,
0: but I can, yeah, I can buy that a lot more than I can buy energy bending or spirit bending doesn't make sense. Like right. the fact that it is a little fluky and it's totally accidental that Ang's chakra gets unblocked. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> that sucks for Ozai <laughs> that he hit yeah. him in exactly the right angle to then knock his body into the perfect rock. Mm-hmm. um, you know, that's also just one of those things where it's just a circumstance of the situation. And, you know, I don't
3: I don't know. OK. Oh, man. I just had a thought. How cool would it have been? Because we we just talked about how maybe lion turtles exist in between spaces. Right. Yep. How cool would it have been instead of just a little rock pillar? It was like a fingernail.
0: Oh, oh, <laughs> oh. oh my God, that would be crazy. That would then go back to what we had talked about earlier with the lion turtles, was that they only intervene when they need to or when they deem it the most necessary. Yeah. 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 That would... And
2: what if Boomy had told Momo to put <laughs> that fingernail there? <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah, it's just Momo. What maybe. Momo, maybe? Momo <laughs> just takes
3: the elbow. And <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, and uh, here's the deal. This kind of goes back a little bit, and I, this is reaching a little bit. But if you think about it, all Aang needed was like a killer massage. So in the Nightmares and Daydreams episode, when (laughs) Toth was rock pounding his back, she didn't do a very good job. (laughs) She didn't do a very good job. Yeah. I don't know how they could have done it better.
3: It had to happen. It had to to be with the scar.
0: I'm not sure Mm -hmm. how they could have improved it. Um, Yeah. And it's also not like it's something they dwelled on. No, it was a—it's a flash in the pan moment. Yeah, Ang is getting his ass kicked, and he just gets knocked back, and the rock just perfectly lines up with his scar in that moment, and then boom, it unlocks it, and then they go on, and he starts kicking ass. Mm-hmm. It's not like they replay that thing for five minutes; it's maybe twenty seconds at the yeah. very most. Yeah, you know, so yeah,
3: yeah, you know what? It does kind of separate it from like an uh, anime cliche of like Aang being in the rock, like. I'm going to die. I have to accept my unless I unlock my true power. Like it doesn't have a power up sequence or anything like that. It is just like fast paced.
0: Like you're going to die. Mm. Boom. Oh, no, you're okay. <laughs> well, and they yeah. used that trope at the end of season 2 and he did die. Like Yep. yep. Right. You know, broke so that they're, trope, yeah. They're not going to necessarily even reuse that cuz they've yeah. already they've already used it once. Yeah. In it, in almost exactly the the way that you just described it, Max. Like he goes into his his crystal cocoon, Power separates f- separates uh, from Katara basically, or whatever Guru Patik said, and then gets shot down. Like it's yeah exactly the way it's supposed to happen with without that outcome.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So Max, earlier you said you wanted to talk more about the moment when. Sokka and Toph are hanging by yes. their like fingertips and Sokka throws the sword and the boomerang in two different directions to prevent them from being fire blasted. What what were your thoughts on that?
3: Yeah. Well, I've always just really loved that scene because it, it that one also makes me cry almost every single time um, because the voice actors do a phenomenal job of just being the helplessness. In um, Sokka's line of like, I don't think boomerangs coming back. Is such a good mm-hmm. metaphor for like this is the end of our characters, um, but thinking about it more and and kind of seeing him basically relinquish what makes him him, both his sword and his boomerang. Yeah. Um, I think is actually a really good f- like finale. Right, he's holding on to his friend and protecting his friend and is okay, kind of giving away everything else because yeah. it's not that's not what makes him him. It's, like, what makes him him is, like, his friends and what he's willing to do for them. Um, I'm reading too much into it, but I, no. I just
2: really like that. What does he say, episode one? I'm just a guy with a boomerang. Yes. I didn't ask for all this flying and magic. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah, you're right.
1: Oh, it's it, such a He's perfect... grown up.
0: Mm. Yeah, that scene, you know, I remember watching it for the first time thinking that... Hoff's gonna die. Well, that both Hoff and Sokka, like... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because Suki is on a different airship, likely to survive. Uh, Aang is fighting the Fire Lord. You know, Katara and Zuko have already defeated Azula. They've reclaimed bossing Sei, so we know Iro and the White Lotus are good. So then thinking about that, it's like, okay, so every one of the characters that I just talked about is going to survive. Hopefully. With the exception maybe being Aang, because we just don't know yet. They have to kill off somebody because that's what all TV shows do. Oh, of course it's gonna be Sokka, who we've had since the very first episode, and it's gonna to be Toph, who we love so much. Like they're gonna just knock out these two characters, right? Ugh. So I as soon as he as soon as he says, Yeah, I, I don't think Boomerang's coming back, I'm like, they are dead. They And it was gonna be Sokka was gonna to have to drop Toph fall to her death. And then Sokka was just going to crash down with this airship. Or or get burnt alive because he's surrounded by firebenders. Or get burnt alive. Yeah. Like yeah. it's...
3: I, I sort of think like if Toph had been dropped, do we have it... Is it canon that she can sort of sense Earth even if she's not connected to it? Could she like kind of absorb herself into like... Like liquefy Earth? Or
0: would that be too much of a stretch? From what I understand, I think she has to be in contact with it. Because even when um, they're in the airship, like she says, I can only see when I'm in the airship because it's yeah, all okay. the metal that she feels. Mm-hmm. Like she can't feel the earth below them. She can feel the fire because it obviously gives off heat, but she can't feel the earth um, okay. below. At least that's how I understand. I could be interpreting that wrong. Yeah. yeah. At least, At least at this point. It would be cool if she did like what Aang does with
2: the water earlier yes, to catch yeah. himself.
3: Mm-hmm. But with like sand or something. Yeah. But oh man, that scene. And I mean, I'm glad it doesn't last too long. They relieve us with, right. with Suki coming back. Mm-hmm. Um and then you also have to use a little suspension of disbelief because how how? How did Suki wrangle the airship?
0: I don't really but Well didn't you see she had her lasso and she <laughs> yeah, you know, she like the fin. airship and then she, you know pulled it over that's yeah yeah anyway but it's thank god <laughs> i'm not
2: complaining <laughs> yeah yeah okay i have a question for you guys i can't remember if they mentioned this what happens if ozai's energy consumes ang does ang lose his bending is that the trade-off there
1: mm.
3: yeah what was the threat your own
2: spirit because it almost consumes him, right? Yeah. And then Aang's power shines through.
0: Or does, or does his spirit, or does he die? Yeah. Does his spirit become compromised, meaning he would lose his life? Maybe that's it. Maybe it would have birthed like an evil avatar. <laughs> that would be kind of cool. Because, yeah, because I think the whole trope is that your spirit has to be unbreakable. So in order, like, Aang's goal is to take away the bending, <gasps> but. If it gets if he gets broken, then I would assume that he
3: dies. What if I mean we only get this explored more in Korra, but what if that spirit that would be corrupted would have been Rava? Ooh. That but that's what it would have
0: been. Yeah. And so would that have ended the Avatar? Yes. Oh that's pretty cool. That's yeah. And and Aang would have been in the Avatar state anyway. Yeah. And would have been killed in the Avatar state. So Yeah. Yeah. So no wonder why the lion turtles
3: only use this on aang they must have been able to see that you know he's a good boy he's our good boy <laughs> our uncorruptible good boy <laughs> I, i'm imagining um kiyoshi using it and it like the the corruptness just like boom <laughs> there's no fight <laughs> no they're just already the
2: same energy
3: (laughs) she's a
1: darker red
3: (laughs) no no kiyoshi Kiyoshi. Kiyoshi would be black like her spirit would be black (laughs) oh we give her a hard time but she's she's the best i think the only finale we didn't talk about with these conclusions is the katara azula fight oh yeah yeah is really good that's another one where it's just like you are on the edge of your seat like this is you're way outmatched in this case um she's barely holding on
2: i feel like they keep this one a little shorter since we've seen katara and azula fight a lot Mm -hmm. already this one i like that it's more about like precision like thinking of a plan like i love the way katara figures out how to freeze them and then when she like melts into the water
0: so cool The one thing that I was wondering about that was this. So we're to assume that Azula is going to shoot lightning at Katara right before Katara freezes them. When Katara kind of um, unfreezes herself and then takes the, the chains to then tie Azula down, she has to also unfreeze her hands so that they can be manipulated downward. Wouldn't the energy still be stored in Azula from mm. the lightning blast? Mm. And then if she would have unfrozen, well, when she unfroze Azula's hands, wouldn't the energy escape into the water and theoretically kill them both? Maybe it was one of her fire blasts.
3: Maybe it was a two-finger fire blast. Because we don't... Usually you see them charge up and there's, like, the electricity and stuff. for the lightning, so, yeah. Yeah, with lightning. And this one was, like, she just had her fingers straight in... Okay. Guitar's face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Either I, can, way,
0: I can totally buy that. I was just like, where would that energy go? Yeah. Well, no, I
3: think you're right because uh we've seen firebenders still use their heat while frozen. So yeah, you're you're right. You have again, you have to sort of just accept it that it's pretty cool. Yeah. Because I think like Azula probably could have boiled the water. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. But yeah, I really like this line though because
0: She kind of out-Azula's Azula. Yeah. Yeah. That's the best way to put it. Because she uses her environment, you know, she thinks almost two steps ahead, anticipates what Azula's going to do. And because Azula is unhinged at this point, Azula doesn't even care, like and isn't even thinking that way, and is just out for blood. Mm -hmm. Which is what allows Katara that opportunity to to be a little bit more sneaky.
3: Oh, man. And then that... That they do not do a good job of making us feel good that Azula has been defeated, because yeah, nope, she breaks down and like is like rabid. Yep. Oh my gosh.
0: Yeah, it's bittersweet for sure. I don't. I don't feel good about it. Well, in that whole, I mean, Azula's whole arc, like at least her downward spiral arc, has made us just feel so bad for her that even when it's over air quotes around over. Like you don't feel good about it at all. You just, you feel sorry for her. She's a product of her environment.
2: Bingo. Can you blame her for that? Maybe a little bit.
0: <laughs> Jumping back to the Ozai confrontation. It's really funny when um, the gang is reunited and, and Suki goes over to Ozai And asks Aang, so did you, did you kill him? And his, his line, I'm still alive. It's like, (laughs) okay, we get it.
2: You wish you were dead, but you aren't. Yeah. (laughs) They make him look so pitiful. Yes. It's incredible. Yeah. We can enjoy that defeat. (laughs) Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. He deserves it. His like mascara is almost running a little bit. Like there's a darkness around his eyes. Like
3: it's very good. And once all the fighting is done, we get our we get our little uh. I mean, they do a good job, not like overstaying their welcome with the conclusion. They like yeah. They they, May and Zuko have this really nice like warm moment together. Ang and Zuko have this really nice warm moment together. And then all the gang together has like a a beautiful
0: moment. And then, of course, we end with that. And in Katara, yep. yeah, Yeah. Yeah, and I think there's enough time between the end of that battle and Zuko's coronation. I don't know exactly how much time there is, but there's enough time that has clearly gone by in this universe for some of those wounds to start to heal, which leaves us feeling good like that that things are over. I think if they would have just hard capped it right after Ozai lost his bending, we'd be like, "Oh, that's a little anticlimactic." They, they needed to wrap it up in the way that they did to reassure us that these characters that we've come to know and love through three seasons um are going to be okay and that this world is going to be okay post 100-year war. Cuz the 100-year war is now over. And what a what a feeling. Mm.
3: And you know, I like that they used the comics at least I think I have to actually read them, but they use the comics to like explore the nuance of like, not everything's going to be perfect. Right. It's not like everything's solved, but they don't need to like go into too, too much depth with this. No. Um, I think the one scene that they include, which is kind of interesting, like a interesting choice to include was Zuko confronting his father about his mom. Yep. Yeah. Um, I mean, it does kind of sum up that like, he's not giving up on that plot. He's not giving up on that like whole arc. Um, but that they decide not to pursue it any further or have like a reunion there. Um, I think originally I have to assume they were thinking they might have a scene where he like, like mom, you know, like that sort of scene where it just like cuts off early. But, um, yeah, but they decide not to go there
0: or even like potentially subsequent seasons of the show exploring that. Yeah. Like, I think that's, that's the reason why you include something like that in a show like this is to leave the door open Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Max to to speak to some of the things that wouldn't obviously go as smoothly. Any of those things could also be included. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one thread that we've constantly come back to is yeah, Zuko wondering what's happened to his mom. So mm-hmm. um it it is interesting that they put it in there, but I totally understand that it's it's that's your cliffhanger for season three if they keep a TV show going. Yes, they've now since fleshed that out in the comics. Um, but I would assume that at the time they had thought, oh, this could be a really cool thing to explore if we get another season or if we want to go any further with this. And oh, I forgot about Ty Lee too. She gets her little moment, her little, yeah, she does, yeah. Warriors. Mm-hmm. like
3: her accepting that she can still be herself in a literal match set It's right. so good for her character too. We get, I, I think, yeah, that was like my last note in this is like, this is how you end a show. Like, are there any loose ends? That they haven't explored like are there any things that like is left unsatisfying mm-hmm. yeah um or anything else that you would have liked to see and i can't really think of anything else
2: yeah this whole show has been about like nuance and nothing is like a clean fix or anything so i think letting us have that moment at the end is great because mm-hmm. we've learned the lesson that things are complicated yep it's nice to have some things tie up finally yep mm. oh brandon i thought of this We've talked a lot about time in this podcast. They're mm. like, last year when all of this started, this whole show takes place in just one year. <laughs> Wild. Isn't that nuts?
0: <laughs> Isn't that so insane? I'm glad they reminded us of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was still frozen in a block of ice 12 months ago or a year ago. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Right before well, and their ending. For us, it's been, you know, if you're watching it
3: as it comes out, it's been years Mm-hmm. Right? It's yeah. Funny. Seriously. So it is a nice reminder of like, no, this all took place like very short span. Okay. So even with Olivia's voice in my head about hanging Katara, <laughs> um, I still can't not love that last scene. That that last embrace. Yeah. Just, it gets my heart so warm and fuzzy. Mm-hmm. Ah. It's so sweet.
2: Like, I think, Max, you've mentioned this before. Like, they hug before they kiss. Yes. Like, their relationship's foundation is that friendship. Yeah. And
0: that's so important and so beautiful. Uh, I'm glad that we spend those final moments in Iroh's tea shop. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Jasmine Dragon. With Sokka's terrible painting. He's just <laughs> always bad at painting. You know, and I think it's it is funny because, yeah, we kind of end our time with the gang... With a, a comedic Sokka bit, which has been the trope the whole season yes. or the whole yeah. series, excuse me. Um, you know, even Toff's comment where she says, I think you all look great because they're all kind of being critical <laughs> of their of their of Sokka's interpretation of what they look like, um, including Iroh, yes. who's funny. I've really trimmed down. Yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah. yeah, it's I really, really liked how this final scene um Plays out in such a gentle, carefree, like we have no, there are no problems right now. There's no Fire Lord who's attempting to catch us. There's no, you know, there's no worries. We can just be together. Yeah. I think
3: Toph has the last line of the show, which is, I think you all look perfect. Yeah. Which means the last word of the show is perfect. Which, (laughs) when we watch Korra, might also be the last word in that show.
0: Wait, is it actually? Mm-hmm. Wow. Who speaks it?
3: of uh, course She's like, that sounds perfect.
0: Oh my gosh. Because they talk about cry. going on their vacation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. Wow. That's really good. So instead of saying yip, yip, should I say perfect at the oh, end? Yes. Or, or, yes. At the end I of the sign off? Yes. <laughs> I love that. Is there anything else we want to talk about?
3: Oh, this is it. This is the show.
2: Oh, my God.
0: (laughs) Oh, If only
2: there was another series we could talk about.
0: (laughs) Or a
3: new studio that's creating only (laughs) Avatar content. I think that's it for me. Guys, this has been amazing. It has been.
0: And that's going to do it for this episode. And this officially marks the end of our third season of the podcast. We hope you've enjoyed our conversation so far, as we certainly have. We're looking forward to releasing our season three bonus episodes in the coming weeks. Our first bonus episode will see us all take Evan Mew's avatar quiz, as well as sharing any final thoughts on the entirety of the series. Our second bonus episode will see us play out Maxwell's custom-crafted Dungeons & Dragons scenario, which has an avatar-themed tinge to it. We're now live on Facebook and Twitter, just search for at Previous.pod on Facebook and at previous underscore pod on Twitter. Give us a like or a follow and interact with us. Thanks so much to our listeners for sticking with us through this incredible journey. We're planning to keep the conversations going after our bonus episodes and transition directly into the world of the legend of Korra. Stay tuned to our bonus episodes as we'll communicate our release date for season four of the podcast at that time. A big thanks to my co-hosts Evan and Max for being a part of the podcast. We'll see you soon. Perfect.